Well, here in Hosea, we have, I think, one of the most profound insights into the real feelings of God and into the meaning of the love of God and the greatness of his love. If God were to simply say, you know, because I can't stand sin and it's really hurtful to me, sometimes I feel like killing you, uh, but I don't, and uh, because I just love you so much and I have a, a great conflict in my soul, in my heart, about uh, what to do with you, but in the end my, my love towards you, my grace towards you, as my people sort of wins out, um, but you know, you, you don't often really put me through it, you know. Um, I don't think we would sort of really, it would really register with us. But instead, God has chosen to reveal himself for this part of his, uh, his feelings toward us through the, the life of Hosea. And in Hosea 1 to 3, we have the situation explained with Hosea that he married this prostitute called Gomer and that he had, uh, or she had children who are in fact not his and yet she makes out that they're his and she commits adultery here, there and everywhere and that he really struggles over this, he has huge anger with her he threatens her with this, that and the other he fantasizes about her returning to him and how wonderful it's going to be and then he wants to kill her, to humiliate her, then he wants to love her forever etc. And then from chapter 4 to the end, we have God talking to Israel, but he talks to Israel using language which is appropriate to marital relationships. And all the way through, from chapter 4 to the end, you've got God talking to Israel in the same uh, frames of reference as Hosea felt towards Gomer that he says many contradictory things, that I'm going to destroy you, you will go to Egypt, and that's the end of you. Then he says, you will not go to Egypt. My love for you is eternal, etc. And God also, like Hosea, has these dreams of how wonderful their married life is finally going to be when she has totally come back to him. Now, you can reason back a little bit from chapter 4 to the end of Hosea, um, you can reason back a little bit from the feelings of God to Israel back to the Hosea-Goma relationship. In other words, if, if God said that, well, it is my plan to do this, that, and the other to you, and I feel like this, that, and the other about you, uh, well, you can reason back and say, well, that is how Hosea felt to Goma. Because as we're going to see all the way through Hosea, it is using the language of love, of adultery, of faithfulness, of married life, of children, etc. Now, here in chapter 1, then, we have the whole thing beginning. He goes, verse, verse 3, and takes Goma, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bare him a son. It's normally said that he went into her and she conceived and had a son. But that uh, bit about him going into her and therefore her conceiving is not there. So she has these two children, which have these unfortunate names, Lo-Ruhama, which means has not obtained mercy, and then Lo-Ami, which means you are not my people, you are not mine. And then the names are changed. Chapter 2, verse 1, their names are changed back to Ami, you are my people, and Ruhama, I will have mercy, or you have obtained mercy. 
So there was poor Hosea really loving this woman. I think the depth of his anger with her at times is a reflection of his, his love for her. And you imagine how hard it would have been, this, this woman saying, yes, dear, you know, these are your children. And then as the, the years of early babyhood went by, he became daily convinced that these are not my children. And he knew that. And there she was, hooning around with all these different guys, etc., and wasting, it seems, his money on making herself beautiful for them and even paying them. You can uh, reason later on in the book, even paying them to, to have sex with her. And so the extent of God's wrath, I think, is related to the extent of his love. There are people who don't know God very well and don't know the Bible very well who will say, but how could a God of love do this, that, or the other? Well, they simply have not thought what love is and have not thought of the, the depth of pain caused by every single human sin to God. The more you love somebody, the more sensitive you are to their response to you, and the more and, and the deeper will be your anger, your wrath, if they are unfaithful to you, and if they reject uh, that love and, and abuse it. So to me, it is understandable that there are these two sides of God to say, well, you know, why isn't God just a lovey-dovey God? Why doesn't God just give us all the nice things and be kind of nice and lovey all the time? Where is this anger coming from that's clearly in God and that the Old Testament seems to be so full of, this, this wrath of God? Um, sort of, that doesn't seem to have a place in a lot of people's worldview. And why it doesn't is because I think they, they don't get the point of how much he actually loves us and that that love love of itself uh, requires and seeks a, a response to it. And so that is why Hosea as a, as a book is full of apparent contradictions. And they are contradictions on a surface level, as I've said. Several times he says, you shall go to, to Egypt. That's the end of it. I will no longer have a relationship with you. And then he says, you will not go to Egypt. I will love you no more. And then at the end of the, of the book, I will love them freely. Now, this uh, apparent contradiction is not a contradiction on a fundamental level. This is the, the surface level contradiction that is seen in someone who is deeply in love. And of course, for those who, who don't get it, of course they would say, yeah, well there you are, the Bible contradicts itself. And Not at all. In fact, this is to me the mark of a greater authenticity than a kind of a legalistic making of all the ends tie up. And it's explained here really in terms of Hosea's feelings to Goma. You know, he, he calls these kids not mine or not my people, I will not have mercy, and then he changes the names. And this is, I think, understandable. If you imagine someone who has this huge love for this woman, presumably an attractive woman because she was a prostitute, um, you sort of would understand, or we can understand, why then he would have these apparently contradictory feelings. It's rather like in verses 9 and 10 here, the Lord said, Call his name, Lo am I, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. 
So, and he goes on talking about how he is going to accept them. And he's going to say to those who are not my people, you are the sons of the living God. Now, what I think is interesting there is that the love of God and the hopefulness of God for, the, for his people comes immediately straight after he has said, I will not be your God and you are not my people. It's normal when someone is angry with somebody that they say a hard thing and then sort of that's it and then they might come crawling back the next day and, or the next week or month or whatever and, and say something rather nicer. But with God in the prophets, so often the wrath of God is juxtaposed right next to the, the love of God and his hopefulness for the future. Now, a lot of these verses that appear to be prediction, for example, that they shall become my people, etc. Uh, the children of Judah, verse 11, the children of Israel shall be gathered together, etc. I'm not so sure all of that is prediction in the sense of just foretelling the future. I think a lot of those verses we're going to meet in Hosea that is, in fact, God's fantasy. You have maybe the clearest uh, example at the end of, of chapter 2, where he seems to have this uh, dream of how, the, uh, of how he's going to uh, punish his people, like Gomer is going to be uh, punished by Hosea. And then finally the dream is that she comes back and she's going to call me Ishai and she'll call me no more barley. And then verse 18, the whole of heaven and earth is going to get involved in rejoicing in some new covenant, some new marriage contract that's entered into between the two and 21 and 22. The heaven and earth are going to echo back with, with the joy of all this because she's going to be faithful to him, verse 20, forever. Well, of course, it's an open question whether Gomer ever really did return to Hosea in fullness, and it would seem she didn't, from how I read the book. And did Israel return to their maker, to their Lord? Well, they, they didn't really. Uh, they crucified his son, and uh, really he has turned to, to the Gentiles. And so I, I see a lot of these verses as the, the fantasy that is part of love, because love does involve an element of fantasy. And I, I'm not just talking about sexual stuff, I mean of imagination of, oh, we'll get married, and we shall this, and we would that, and it would be like this, and if only she would marry me, or if only he would marry me, then it would be like this, it could be like that, etc. That's all part of the love feeling. And here in Hosea, I think in these first three chapters, we see this kind of speculation and fantasy by Hosea about Goma, and I think it's looking forward to the feelings that, that God really has about his people. But the, the depth of his grace is really quite, quite deep. Uh, here in chapter 1, it keeps talking about Jezreel. And uh, the question is, of course, why? He um, <clears throat> talks in verse 4 about Jezreel. Now, in, in, in Hebrew, uh, Jezreel and Israel are very similar. It's uh, clearly Jezreel in Hebrew is a play on, on Israel. And he, he says, verse 4, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Now, why does he say that? And then at the end of chapter 1, great shall be the day of Jezreel. Why all this going off about uh, Jezreel? Well, 
what happened to Jezreel was that there Ahab was punished and destroyed by, uh, and his family, uh, the family of Ahab, were destroyed by, by Jehu. Now Jehu said, you know, I'm this great servant of the Lord, and I come and see my zeal for the Lord in going and destroying the family of Ahab at Jezreel. Uh, but Jehu himself really turned away from the spirit, shall we say, of, uh, of, of the Lord in, in his behavior afterwards. And, of course, Ahab himself repented. So <clears throat> Jezreel became, I think, a symbol, really, of God's grace because he's turned it all around. Jehu was told by God to avenge Upon to do vengeance upon the house of Ahab, and he did that at Jezreel. But now God says, I'm going to avenge the blood of Jezreel, Ahab's family, upon Jehu. Well, God had told Jehu to do what he did, and now God's saying, I'm going to take revenge upon Jehu for what happened to Jezreel. <clears throat> it's almost as if God is now starting to take the side of Ahab, who, as I say, did repent. So, it's a, it's a strange uh, turning of everything around because you think, well, why, why should God tell Jehu go and uh, go to Jehu, go to Jezreel and avenge me upon uh, the family of Ahab? And then now he turns around and says, now I'm going to take vengeance upon you, Jehu, for doing that, as if, well, I'm really sort of taking the side of Ahab's family. So, I think this sort of turnaround of uh, feeling and position which we see there in, in the talk about Jezreel is a reflection of the turnaround which there was in Hosea's feeling to his wife and to his kids that you are not my people oh yes now you are my people you are not going to have my mercy and acceptance oh yeah now I will show mercy upon you uh, renaming the kids Ami and uh, Ruhama in chapter 2 verse 1 telling her, chapter 2, verse 2, she is not my wife, neither my her husband. And then he, he's talking about how he's going to kill her. He actually thinks about killing her, chapter 2, verse 3, uh, stoning her for adultery, which was you know, what he could have done to her under the law. I mean, he was living under the law. She was committing adultery. It was quite within his right, within the law of Moses, to, to kill her. And then we're talking about this eternal love he has for her and his fantasies of getting it all together again and etc. Now this is the uh, when I say the contra contradictory feelings, that's putting it humanly, but this I think is all a window into the feeling of God about you and me the wages of sin is death and sin must result in death and do you know, when you and I sin that angers God and hurts God to such an extent but it's not that he just shrugs and looks the other way and says, oh, yeah, well, that's them. They, they do mess up now and again. Um, you know, I've seen them for years, for millennia. Yeah, I know those guys. They're sort of a bit like that. Yeah, like a, a man may look at his uh, cattle or his particular breed of sheep that he's sort of used to, to dealing with. No, this really hurts God to the point that he really feels that we should be killed, that we should die, that we should just collapse and die. But we don't. Because his love and his grace toward us and his remembering that we are dust sort of works in his mind, as it were, to overcome 
of that quite just and quite right feeling. Now, this passion of God that is reflected in the passion of Hosea towards Gomer, this is amazing. And once you get some whiff of this, even if you perceive this as it were from a great distance, uh, this is what gives real fire and meaning to human spiritual life in practice. That we really can please God, thrill God, and also terribly hurt him to the point that we trigger his wrath. And there is this very real struggle within God. I think uh, one of my favorite chapters is at the end of Hosea, where this struggle that you see within God all the way through the book comes to an end, and I will love them freely. And there is some wonderful words there right at the end of Hosea that we'll, we'll come to in due course, where that love triumphs over that understandable desire to, to judge us. So then God is not passive. God is not switched off. And as, you know, fluffy cotton wool clouds kind of drift across the sky, you can get the impression that God has switched off. That he's kind of said, well, it's over to you guys, and I'll, I'll catch up with you on the day of judgment, and we'll, we'll have a look and... Uh, yeah, don't worry, I'll be pretty kind to you and pretty understanding, but, uh, you know, for now, it's over to you. No, you know, God is looking deeply at human response, and his love seeks a response. If that was how he really was, a God that switched off and distant and just going to show up at the Day of Judgment and sort of have a look at things, um, see how we got on, that wouldn't be love. The, the passionate love that we see displayed upon the cross, that we see in the whole wonderful plan that God had to give his only begotten son for the sins and laziness spiritually of you and me. I mean, this is a love so great that by its sheer magnitude, it seeks for response. And it's, it cannot be passive and disinterested in our response. It's looking every minute for that response. It's like the guy who sends an email to a girl he's fallen in love with and he's waiting for the response and he's waiting for the text on his phone and he's any email that comes through or you know whatever method of communication you're using he's there checking it all the time now God's love is far greater than that and he is looking for response now <clears throat> talking about uh, contradictions within uh, Hosea um, which to me indicate the the, the very live nature, the very real acute nature of, of God's love toward us. And one of them is about his attitude to Israel and Judah. See, he says in verse 7 here of chapter 1, um, well, I will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel, verse 6, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them. He makes this difference between Israel and Judah. And as we read through Hosea, I would like you to look at all the times where the prophet makes the specific point that there is no difference between the sin of Israel and Judah, that they have both sinned and Judah has even sinned worse than Israel. And then there's other places in Hosea where he says, Oh yeah, Israel have messed up, but Judah, don't you don't you offend? Don't don't you sin? Don't you do like they have done? And you think, well, look, was Israel and Judah the same before God, or, or actually uh, was uh, was Judah better? And I'll leave that for you to do as your as your homework, because you will find 
uh, a number of uh, passages where the two of them are spoken as if they are just as bad as each other. I mean, chapter 6 uh, has got a number of them. In verse 4, O Ephraim, ten tribes, Israel, what shall I do unto you? O Judah, what shall I do unto you? Uh, for your goodness of both of you is as a morning cloud, as the dew that passes away. Um, Israel is defiled, chapter 6, verse 10, verse 11. Also, O Judah, there is a harvest appointed for you. So, as if he's, uh, it's as if he's saying that the two of them are as bad as each other. But there's other passages in Hosea where he says, no, uh, Judah is faithful and, and uh, great, uh, greatly faithful to me. It's just Israel that messed up, etc. Now, this is one of many contradictions. And what I've said is that it, it's not... Uh, an ultimate contradiction in ultimate terms it is the, the con sort of contradictory behaviour that comes from someone who is madly, blindly in love now there is an element to which love is blind and yet not in a literal sense you know, you see a, a woman planning to marry an alcoholic and you say, look, do you not see what it's going to be like? do you not see what he's like? And it's not that love is so blind that she says, huh, no, he's not an alcoholic, he never touches a drop, he doesn't get drunk. Of course she sees it. Of course she sees it, but she deals with it in a different way, through the eyes of someone in love. And I think, maybe it's a rather crude analogy, but I think this is one way to understand what Paul would call justification, being counted as righteous, although we are not, because of our status in Christ. And I think you see that lived out really in, in Hosea. That of course he, he saw what she was doing and in one part of him he said, yeah, right, let's, this is it. She's not my wife anymore. Let's kill her. Let's shame her and get her all over and done with and move on. And yet, you know, I will love her freely. And these dreams, these fantasies that he has about her and how it's all going to work out somehow and she's going to come back and going to be faithful to him to the end, etc. So <clears throat> these contradictions, as I say, are part of God's passion. It's part of what happens in love. And that is why I think to try to read the Bible <clears throat> as if this is a, a legalistic document that never contradicts itself uh, from a God who would never contradict himself uh, because it's so important to be uh, true and not get caught out by tiny little men down here on this planet who are looking at you rather critically. No. <laughs> God is far greater than that. He doesn't need apologetics. He doesn't need, need to apologize for himself or explain himself with footnotes, as it were. The love of God is so great and so passionate that these kind of, I'm calling them contradictions, uh, maybe it's better to look at it in terms of uh, a dialectic, that, that there are, are two apparently opposed poles that uh, are not really contradictions, but they are a dialectic, and truth comes out of the interplay between those, uh, those two poles. Um, maybe that's a better way to look at it. Uh, but all the same, his love is so great that there is that apparent you know, changing of mind. I will not love you anymore. I do not love you. I'm going to kill you. Oh, no, I will love you freely. Oh, come back to me, whatever. And so this is the God with whom we have to do. And in the, the death of Jesus, 
you see, I suppose, in, in physical terms, in terms of physical symbolism, as it were, that love expressed in its greatest, greatest way. You know, having loved his own that were, <clears throat> that were in the world, Jesus loved us unto the end. He took love to the end of love. He took the concept right inside out and beyond itself. He redefined it all so that he could say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Well, of course, there was an old commandment that you love one another, but to love one another as I have loved you, this is a new commandment because it's love as he loved us. And so this is the God with whom we have to do. And as we go back out into the world now, you and I are the, the, the subjects or the objects of that amazing love of God. And he is eagerly watching for every response. And although his wrath is there, and don't, you know, don't explain that away. Don't let it be explained away. It is there. That is part of loving somebody, that there is going to be that countered uh, feeling. But positively, every move you make, every response you make, he is, you know, sorry to say it, you know, like the song says, but yeah, he's watching you. He really is watching you. And he's really looking for your response and so eager for it. Thank you.